Hey, so good to see you guys. You sounded good during worship. Man, that sounds, sounds so amazing. I don't know what sounds better than a group of men worshiping God. I love the sound of that. That, that does not get old. But welcome to session two of The Kingdom Man. Just real quickly, I know we've got some guys who weren't here last week. So last week, we talked about uh, kingdom alignment and the importance of being in alignment with the king. In other words, if we want to live powerful lives in the kingdom, then we've got to be in alignment, submitted, surrendered to the king. And when we're surrendered and in alignment, then the king's power and the king's authority begins to flow through us. I was talking about uh, the surfing analogy. When you surf, you get in alignment with the wave. The power comes from the wave, but we just get in alignment. And so last week was all about alignment. So tonight is about assignment. Because kingdom alignment positions us for kingdom assignment. And I want to pick up where we left off last week and, and talk about how do we discern, how do we recognize our kingdom assignments, the things that God is calling us to do. And so let's pray first. Father, we thank you for your presence. I thank you for these men. As I was listening to them worship God, I was just reminded that you know every single man here. And you're glad they're here. They belong here. You love every man here. And so open our ears to hear what your spirit is saying in Jesus' name. And everybody says, amen. It was a hearty amen. When I was a freshman in high school, I weighed about 115 pounds, soaking wet. But I love football, so I played football. And all of the freshmen suited up for the varsity games, but as you can imagine, we didn't play. So my job on Friday night is, was to, to stand there on the sideline, helmet on, full pads. I mean, the pads were bigger than I was, but I was standing there. Just, just praying to God, Lord, just give me a chance. Just, just let me have one opportunity to get in the game. And so my job was to hold the clipboard. Seriously, no exaggeration. The coach, every Friday night, would give me the clipboard, and my job was to chart the offensive plays for the other team. And so I would, I would stand there, I would watch, and I would circle right side, left side. Strong side of the field, weak side of the field. Wide side of the field, short side of the field. And every once in a while, the coach would yell, Jenkins! And my eyes would snap to attention. And I would think, this is my chance. He's going to send me into the game. And so I'd run over to him and say, coach, yes. He would say, let me see that clipboard. He would study it. Okay, get back to your job. I'd go back to my job of charting plays. And it was very, very rare, but I think it happened maybe two times all year long when we were winning big. When the coach would say, Jenkins, get in there. And my goodness, that is a feeling for a little 115-pound freshman to scurry out on the field, look around, I'm in the game. And I think 
deep in the heart of every man, there's this something, there's this something in us that just knows, that just recognizes that you were made to be right in the action. Not to stay on the sideline, not to spend your life warm in the bench, but that God made you, he created you, he breathed his life into you, he shed his blood to redeem you and forgive you. He's given you all kinds of gifts and talents. He's filled you with his Holy Spirit, not to leave you on the bench, but to say, guess what? I'm calling you right into the action, my kingdom action, meaning what God is doing on the earth, the process of heaven coming to earth. God says, I I know you, and I want you in on the action. Now, you might be thinking, okay, now what? You know the line from Braveheart, fine speech, now what do we do? I think, I think we would all agree, okay, yes, that's good. We're called into the action. I get it, Gabe. But what do I do? How do I know what my kingdom assignment is? How do I really know what God is asking me to do? And so what I want to do tonight is just take a few minutes and unpack this a little bit. And my hope is that when we leave, some of the pressure will lift. Maybe some of the fog of confusion that is so common for men, the, the fog of confusion of, I don't really know what God's calling me to do. I look around, and I, I don't really like my job, and I can't really discern what he's doing, and I feel stuck. Well, I hope at the end of the, the night that some of that fog, some of that pressure will lift off of us and will leave with a little bit more clarity on kingdom assignments. And so let's start in Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, and here's the first point. I encourage you to write this down, all right? So the first thing I want to highlight tonight is your kingdom assignment starts right where you've been planted. I think for a lot of us men, there's this pressure that we, we have to just keep looking and keep looking, and maybe someday if we strain our eyes hard enough, we'll be able to look far enough, and we'll see, oh, it must be out there. My kingdom assignment's out there somewhere. But we miss the reality that our kingdom assignment starts right where our feet are planted, literally. I mean, think about Adam in Genesis. God creates Adam. He forms him out of the dust of the earth. He breathes his life into Adam. And what does he do with him? He takes Adam, he puts him in the garden and says, I've got an assignment for you, Adam. And where is it? Your assignment is right here where I've planted you. I'm not sending you across the world. It's right here where I've planted your feet. This is your assignment, Adam. In fact, Genesis 2.15, I love this verse. It says, the Lord God took the man... And put him in the Garden of Eden to work it. Everybody say work it. And care for it. Everybody say care. Care. Okay, those are two really important words. To work it and care for it. Now, why is this important? Because this was the first man's assignment. Was to work it and to care for it. Now, I want us to catch the meaning of these words because it is awesome for us. So the word work actually means abode. 
abode. And what that means is to draw out the potential of something, to draw out the latent potential. So God was taking Adam, putting him in the garden, and saying, first of all, your first assignment, Adam, is to abode this garden, to draw out the latent potential that I've planted in this garden. The second thing God told Adam to do was care for it, to care for it. And that word is shamar, which means to protect, to protect. So God's assignment was to abode, draw out the potential, and to shamar, protect. Now, one of the reasons I love this, and this fires me up, is because I think this is the same thing that God calls us to do today. So for every single one of us, we have a garden, so to speak, meaning there is a place and there are people around us. It's a garden that God has literally planted us, and he looks at us square in the eyeballs, and he says, here's what I want you to do. Are you ready? Right where you're planted, I want you to abode and to shamar. I want you to draw out the potential of the people around you. I want you to draw out the potential of where you are, and I want you to shamar. I want you to protect. Now think about how this applies to our everyday life. As dads, if we take this assignment seriously, my job as a father is to abode and to shamar, to draw out the potential in my kids and to shamar, to protect, to stand guard, to be watching for any little way that the enemy tries to weasel his way in. And that applies to every area of life, whatever your garden might look like. I think about older men. You know, I I look around a room like this, and I love the fact that we have so many old men with us. Older men, let me correct that. (laughs) I just got the death stare there. Rewind. Older men. I'll call you sages. How about that? Sages, I'm, I'm looking at men who have logged some miles in the kingdom. Men who, who, it's not your first rodeo. And I think about you sages. And as you sit across the table from a younger man, a younger leader, and you abode and shamar, think about what that would look like. You're looking at this young leader, and you're sitting with him, and you're calling out of him his potential. And you're shamaring him. You're protecting him. You're helping him to say, hey, watch, watch out for that. Hey, what's going on with this? Watch out for that trap. Watch out for that ditch. This is what sages are called to do. This is what fathers are called to do. This is what grandpas are called to do. And so what I want to do tonight is just uh, uh, stir our imagination and to, to wonder, what would this look like for me in the garden God has planted me? the place he's planted me, to abode, to call out, to draw out, and to shamar, to protect. You know, I believe quite strongly that the garden that God plants us in is no accident. That God is so strategic with when he wanted you to be born, where he wanted you to be born, and where you would live now, and the people that would surround you now. None of that's an accident. It's strategic. And so let's look at this passage from Acts 
chapter 17. Acts 17, uh, starting in verse 26, the scripture reads, From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and to find him, though he is not far from any of us. And so again, you're alive today because this was your appointed time. And you live here in Colorado because this was your appointed place. This is the garden, so to speak, that God has planted you in. And he's saying, okay, your assignment is right here. And I like the last part of that, that passage because it tells us what God really wants. He wants us to seek him, to reach out to him, and to discover how near he really is, how close he really is to us. And that leads us to the second thing I want to uh, point out tonight. Is as you look up and take a fresh look at the garden, at the landscape of where God has planted you, is look for the presence and movement of God right where he's planted you. Because not only have you strategically been placed there right where you're at, but the Spirit of God is close to you and he is at work in that environment. He is at work in that garden. Do you believe that? That that no matter how much you enjoy your job or don't enjoy your job, that the presence of God himself is at work in that place. And what he invites us to do is look up with fresh eyes and just ask this question. What's God doing here? What's God up to in this place? See, I believe he wants to, to, to call us to a fresh awareness of not only his presence, not only his nearness, but what he's doing in those environments and in those people that surround us. This is exactly how Jesus lived. In John chapter 5, the Pharisees were up in arms. They had worked themselves up into a lather. They were all kinds of upset because Jesus was doing things that was breaking the mold, and he was healing people on the Sabbath. And so the Pharisees were, were just all kinds of hot and bothered. And this is how Jesus responded to the Pharisees. Jesus, in John chapter 5, starting in verse 19, Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. This is how Jesus approached his kingdom assignment. He would pay attention to what the Father was doing. <laughs> and then Jesus would have his assignment. He would walk uh, with such closeness, such intimacy with the Father that he would be able to recognize, oh, that's what the Father's doing. And that's what the Father's doing. And that's what the Father's doing in this person. And that's what the Father's doing in my son. And that's what the Father's doing in my wife. I'm going to participate in what the Father's doing. I, I feel it so strongly in my spirit that, that there's this call to us as men 
that God is saying, hey, open your eyes in a fresh way. You might be in a place that just feels so familiar, the same people you see every day, the same desk, the same cubicle, and you're sitting there thinking, oh my goodness, is this ever going to change? And I believe the Holy Spirit is saying, just look up with fresh eyes. Look up with fresh eyes and just ask, what are you doing, Father? What are you up to here? And how can I participate? How can I get in on the action? What is my role? But one of the things that I think we all have to agree on, if we grow in our discernment, if we grow in our maturity and in our ability to recognize what the Father is doing, that takes a lot of time with the Father, doesn't it? It, it doesn't just happen. I mean, life is just bananas. And I bet if I were to follow you guys around for a day, I'd be like, my goodness, you've got so much going on. Business deals and family challenges, and we all do. Life, can, life is crazy. So in order for us to grow in our ability to step right into that world and just recognize, oh, that's what he's doing, that's what he's doing, that's what he's doing, we have to be so intentional to linger with him in the quiet places. Jesus modeled that for us. Yeah, it's pretty amazing, pretty spectacular to watch Jesus do what he did, but the reason he was able to do what he did is because all the time he spent with the Father on the mountain, in those quiet places with the Father, cultivating that deep, intimate friendship, relationship, all the time that Jesus spent with the Father in the quiet place just spilled right out into the public place. And I believe God is, is challenging us. Me, you, we. To be more intentional than we even have been. To linger with him in those quiet places. In his presence. And here's, here's what I find that happens to me. When I spend time with God in that quiet place, I find that he, he takes my life like, like a big old steak, right? And he just begins to cut off the fat. The fat meaning the busy activity. Gabe, you've got a lot going on. You've got a lot, a lot of activity. But again, when I'm with him, when I'm locked in with him in the quiet place, I just begin to realize he's cutting off the fat. I, I said steak, and I just lost about half the room right here. You got, I just made you hungry. But that's what God does when we spend time with him in the presence. You know what he does? He begins, to, he begins to speak to us about our lives. He begins to speak to us about our busyness and about all that we have going on, all of the activity. And if we'll let him, he'll begin to say, you know what? This thing that you're spending a lot of time on, it's fat. cut it away. Because you know what he really wants to do? He wants to cut away all the busy activity that's not fruitful so that you're, you're left with the, just the, the prime rib. That you're left with this, the main ingredient, the, the thing that God is saying, this is what is most important in this season of your life. This is it. Not all of this other stuff. This Gabe, lock in right here. This is the steak, baby. 
This is where it's at. And so here's the question. In the next seven days, I want to just encourage you to take this question to God in the quiet place. Ask God to show you what the fat is in your life. Meaning the busy activity, the busyness that God wants to cut away so that you're left with the kingdom assignment that's most important. So two parts to that question. God, show me the fat. Show me what you want to cut away that's just busyness. And here's the second part of the question. And show me what's most important in this season of life. I absolutely believe that he'll answer those questions if we're patient, if we're willing to spend that time with him, if we're willing, again, to just kind of linger in that quiet place in his presence. And here's what will happen. The more time you spend in the presence of God, the more clarity you're going to begin to have on what he's saying is the most important thing in this season. He'll just begin to highlight it to you. Out of everything you have going on in your life, you'll just find that through the Holy Spirit, through the wisdom that God gives, you'll just be able to recognize, oh, this is it. This is it. This is what God is really wanting me to focus in on and lock in on in this season of my life, right where I'm at. And that leads us to the third thing. Once we begin to gain clarity on what God is highlighting regarding this is the most important thing, then he wants us to run with great focus. To run with great focus. Proverbs 4, 25 says, Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. I don't know about you, but sometimes I can be a little distracted. Like, oh, that, oh, no, over here, no. And, and oftentimes, God's like, Gabe, right here, right here. Fix your gaze directly before you. You know, with horse racing, they, they put the blinders on the, the horses. Anybody else need those sometimes? You know, just to, to help your gaze just look directly in front of you and not look over and say, well, what they're doing is pretty cool. I wish I had their kingdom assignment. And, oh, man, I'd much rather be doing this over here. And we're looking to the left and we're looking to the right. And we're comparing ourselves and we're wishing this was happening. And, and, and all the while, God is saying, no, right here. Lock in right here. Fix your gaze directly before you. In fact, this, this idea of focus has probably been in the top one or two things that God has led me to pray over the men of our church over the last few years. As I spend time praying over you, praying over the men of our church, I just find that oftentimes the Holy Spirit says, Gabe, I want you to pray focus for the men of the church. I, I just sent so many times the Holy Spirit saying, I'm looking for focused men. I'm looking for men in the kingdom who fix their gaze right before them. They don't look to the left. They don't look to the right. They spend time in my presence. They gain clarity on what I'm truly asking them to do in this season. And then they run. Eyes fixed right in front of them. And you know what happens? 
when we live that way, we begin to glorify God in pretty amazing ways. When we're focused, when we let him steer us and direct us, and wherever he steers us, that's where our eyes are. You know, going back to the, the horse thing, I think horse racing is actually a pretty cool picture for, uh, for kingdom alignment and kingdom assignment. You know, last week I was again talking about alignment, right? Being aligned under the lordship of Jesus. Well, think about horse racing. These horses have the jockey on top of them. The jockey's calling the shots. The jockey's steering them. You know what they do? They fix their eyes on the lane that's in front of them, and they run, baby. And then what happens is because that horse is just doing what it was created to do, people are like, whoa, that's pretty cool. That's pretty glorious. I've always enjoyed the stories about Secretariat. Secretariat was just an amazing horse back in the 1970s. And there's a story, I'm going to close with this. There's a story about Secretary that has gripped me. And I'm not even quite sure I know why fully, but it's just gripped my heart. And the story is, is that uh, in the final race of the Triple Crown in 1973 at Belmont, Secretariat was the favorite. And so he had captured the attention of millions and millions of people Almost everybody was glued in and ready to watch this, this race. And so as the race starts and the horses come out of the, the gates uh, right away, Ron Turcott, who was the jockey of Secretariat, took Secretariat right up to the front. And he, he opened the throttle right away. And so they come around, uh, they come around to the back stretch, and he's only getting faster and faster. And so people in the grandstands are starting to get really concerned. They think this horse is going to collapse and die right here on the track. There's no way that this horse can maintain this pace. And people started to already, the race was still happening, but they were criticizing Ron Turcotte saying, you're crazy. What are you doing? Well, here's the part of the story I love. Because when they got to a mile and an eighth, the pole there, Turcotte tells the story that he heard a voice speak to him. He heard a voice, and the voice was, Ronnie, go on with that horse. And he said it was so clear that he actually looked to see where it came from, but he didn't see anybody. And he would later say, I think it was God. I think it was God. Somebody else in the stands that day was quoted as saying, uh, saying, it looked like the Lord himself held the reins to that horse. Like he bent over in his ear and he said, run. Run, baby. And Jack Nicholas, you know the great golfer, Jack Nicholas, he said, when I watched that race, he said, I found myself on the ground in my living room pounding the floor, tears coming down my eyes. He said, I don't even like horse racing. (laughs) He had no idea why he was on all fours, crying, looking at the TV. And people were like, what's up with him? What is going on there? 
But I think part of the reason that story grips me is because I truly believe that's a picture of what God wants it to look like for us. Being submitted. He's the jockey. He's calling the shots. He's showing us our lane. And he leans over and he says, are you ready? Run, baby. Let's run. And as we do that, we glorify God because that's what we were created to do. So what does that look like? I think it looks like waking up tomorrow and going about your day in such a way to say, this is the lane that God has given me. I may not like it. It may not be my dream job. I may have all kinds of problems with my family. But this is the lane. He's the king. I'm going to stay submitted. And with him, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to be wholehearted right where I'm at. I'm just going to engage right where I'm at with everything in me, all of his gifts, all of his talents, all of the abilities he's given me for his glory. And just trust that in some way, in some capacity, people will look on and say, wow, that glorifies God. Look at him. Look at him go. Look at him go. Let's pray. Can you close your eyes with me? Father, I thank you that you are a strategic God. You know what you're doing. These are some racehorses. I know it. These are some stallions in this room. These are some, these are some guys who can run. And Father, my prayer is that for all of us, we would be so focused, locked in, not looking to the left, not looking to the right, not comparing ourselves with others, but simply looking right in front of us, right in the lane you have us in, and may we run with all of the power you give us. And Father, we pray that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, all the men said, amen. amen.